0: Matthew chapter number one this morning, Matthew chapter number one. We are starting a new series, taking a break from our series in Acts. So for the next couple weeks, we're going to do a series entitled Searching for Christmas, Searching for Christmas. And what this encompasses, a lot of us have heard the Christmas story many times over, but we're going to look at some of the different names that are given to Jesus, the baby that was born in Bethlehem so many years ago, over 2000 years ago. I'm excited about this series. Uh, We're going to look at a lot of the aspects from Isaiah, but today we're going to start in Matthew chapter number one. We're also going to be in Isaiah chapter seven, Isaiah chapter nine. So just kind of find your place all over. Well, let's go ahead and start in Isaiah nine, if you would. Isaiah chapter number nine is where we're going to start this morning. Again, appreciate you being here in the Lord's house. Isaiah chapter nine. um, Let's go ahead and stand. You've been sitting for a little bit, a little bit today. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Just follow along with me. I want to read just number 6, verse number 6. The Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, this is Isaiah's prophecy that is prophesying several hundred years, seven, eight hundred years prior to the birth of Jesus. And, and what we're going to do over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some of these names given in verse number six. But today we're going to look at a, a different characteristic, a different name that was given to him. Go back to Isaiah chapter number seven. Isaiah chapter number seven, just a, a page over probably. Isaiah chapter number 7, starting verse number 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, he was the king of Judah at this time, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God, ask it either in depth or in height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. Now I'm going to reference that in a minute. Neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I want to focus on that word Emmanuel today. Uh, Sometimes it's spelled differently. You have the, the I version or the E version as well. So we're going to reference that verse as well as Matthew chapter number one. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll start this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the good job that the kids did on the program and all the work that Susan did. We're so thankful for that and the other parents that were involved. Well, we love you and we're thankful for this Christmas season. And I pray that you be with this message this morning, really for the next few minutes, just a, an encouraging reminder of this Christmas season as many people are searching for answers. And, and Lord, the, in the search for Christmas, it should always end with Christ. It should always end with the baby that was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And Lord, if there is someone here today that has never trusted you as their Savior, I pray that today might be the day that they come to know you that they asked you to save them of their sins. And I know it's been a difficult year in a lot of aspects for a lot of different people, but I pray that you'd help us as we finish out the year. I pray that you'd help us to finish out strong, help us to focus on you and you alone, no matter what else is going on around us or in our country, in our world, help us to focus on you. We love you so much in Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Let me ask a question to start this morning, as I often do. What why do we have to search for things? I guess that's the first question. Why do we have to search for things? How many have ever been on a scavenger hunt? First of all, how many have ever been on a scavenger hunt? How many like scavenger hunts or searching for clues? How many have ever done those, um, uh, they're not mystery rooms, what are they called? The, uh, the escape rooms. Anybody like the escape rooms? Uh, like two people. All right, well, good. You guys are missing out. My wife and I love those. These are like a favorite, like, date night uh, opportunity for us. Uh, we've escaped many. We've not escaped many. Uh, it's just kind of a fun thing. But why do we have to search for things? This is a time where those that normally aren't with us, you can't answer out loud. Uh, why do we have to search for things? Anybody, anybody that have ever lost something? Justin, you ever lost something? As he's walking out. All right. Uh, why do we have to search for things? Anybody, come on. Ryan, just say something. Because your wife moved it. Has that ever happened to any other men? All right, David. All right, a couple other ones. Very good. Your children move it. Oh, don't you love that one? I love it especially, you know. My son was the donkey and the wicked king, so they move a lot of things a lot of times. Why else? Why do we have to search for things? David. Because I have a terrible memory. Because I think many of us could attest to that. Uh, uh, Probably showing some of our age, you know. Don't you love it when you're, like, searching for your keys? Where are my keys? And they're in your hand. Or, like, where are my glasses? And, like, they're on top of your head. You ever done that? Like, probably even, like, this morning. Like, yeah. Many of us? (laughs) That's the funniest. Uh, um, I've done it, and I know my wife has done it many times. I'm like, Amanda, look on top of your head. That's where the glasses are. The keys are still in your hand. It's okay. Everything's fine. I think sometimes, you know, we're panicked in in our stress. Why else? Why do we have to search for things? Why do we have to search for things? Anybody else? I mean, you guys have mostly answered all of them. Anybody? To find them. To find them, yes. I mean, that's very important. To, you search for something because you're trying to find it. And again, what we're trying to do is we're trying to uh, really, again, unlock the, the true meaning of cri- Christmas. Aaron, did you want to say something? Or? No. Oh, no. I was trying to find it. I said, no. Oh, okay. I heard you talking over there. I was just making sure. I was giving you giving you a chance. Yeah, well, good luck. Good luck, sir. All right. All um, right several years ago, I think it was two years ago, Amanda sent me on a scavenger hunt for my Christmas present, and uh, she sent me all over, and it was actually really fun. Uh, I did the same thing uh, with my parents last year. Uh, They went to Tennessee. My parents have a cabin in Tennessee, and they went to Tennessee to celebrate Christmas, so every day for like four or five days, I sent them a different clue that they had to figure out what the clue was, and they kept asking me. I'm like, no, I, I sent you the clue. That's it, you have to figure out the clue. And it, it went on for, again, four or five days. And uh, they could use Google. They could use it. A... Do you want to help the message cadence? No, I'm good. Just... Oh, okay. I'm just making sure. Okay. All right. I appreciate it. Man, this is a day of interruptions. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. I was I was sending them on a scavenger hunt, you know, in search for things. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of went all over uh, Pigeon Forge area and everything like that. And they finally found their clue. I think the last clue I sent them had a bunch of coordinates that they had to figure out where to put the coordinates together, and they ended up going on uh, one of those escape rooms, so they really enjoyed it. But again, uh, searching, a lot of people are searching for answers in life, and I think uh, more than any year, I think 2020 has left a lot of people searching, right? A lot of people searching for answers and trying to figure out what is going on in this world. And what I see in this world right now, I see a world that is searching for something to hold on to. In our desperate search for answers to questions that, We cannot control. And I know control is Stephanie's favorite topic to hit on today. So I'm not going to talk on that, Stephanie. I just wanted to reference that. Yes, I know. I just wanted to reference that for you this morning. But uh, control is something that many of us struggle with. I struggle greatly with it, honestly. But in our search for something, we're trying to find answers for questions we can't control. And what we need the most is something that we can depend on. And it's been very difficult to depend on a lot of things this year with 2020 with all the uncertainty. But the thing that we can depend upon is a little baby. And the baby I'm talking about is the baby Jesus. In our story today, in Isaiah chapter 7, I'm not going to reference it too much. We're going to talk maybe a little bit more in, in the EQ time. This is almost a dual prophecy because at this time, Ahaz, the, the leader of the Israelites, the, the, there, were, there were two enemies. There, were, there was the, um, the, uh, the nation of Syria and uh, oh, who's the other one? Samaria, I think it was. Is that right? Who was it? I forgot. Yeah, actually, it's, not. it's not Samaria. What was it? I, I told the kids this the other day. I just totally forgot. Hang on. Nobody's in here from, uh, what? Like, ah, oh, hang on. Let me, let, me, let me go back to my mind. Ephraim, that's what it is. All right, very good. Ephraim. So we have Ephraim and Syria that are both coming to wage war against Judah, against Israel. So imagine that. You don't just have one enemy. You have two enemies on either side. Ahaz is the king. Ahaz is the ruler. And uh, Isaiah, the prophet, comes to him and says, hey, uh, go ahead and ask God for a sign. Go ahead and ask God for something, and he's going to give it to you. And Ahaz's response is basically, you know what? I don't want to do that. I don't want to test God. I don't want God to trick me. Uh, but here's the truth. Does God trick us? Does God trick us, people? No, he doesn't trick us. And when Isaiah was asking Ahaz to ask God a sign, ask God for something, he wasn't trying to trick him. He wasn't trying to trip him up. So he's, he's in the middle of a conflict. War is going on either side of him, and both enemies are against him. And Isaiah says, finally, basically, I'm kind of interpreting the story here, but He's basically saying, all right, since you're not going to ask of a sign, I'm going to give you a sign from the Lord. Verse 14 of Isaiah 7. You don't have to look there. But it says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, let's just stop right there. First of all, if you're in the middle of a war, a sign for the king, for the leader is not going to be like, hey, here's the sign. You're going to have a baby. You're probably like we're going to win now. I'm going to have a baby, so we're going to win. How many are going to think that? (laughs) Probably not. Ahaz is probably even more confused. Like, okay, you're going to give me a sign. My sign would be like, hey, they're going to have like 10,000 more like military troops that are going to come in. They're just going to wipe out the enemy. That is your sign. That's a pretty good sign. But the sign was, I'm going to give you a baby. Now, this is kind of a dual prophecy because uh, there was a baby born of Isaiah a couple years later, And it was just a reminder to Ahaz and to the Israelites that God was with them. But little did they know that seven, almost 800 years later, Emmanuel would be born in Bethlehem. So skip forward to Matthew chapter number one. Matthew chapter number one. All of this is going to make sense, I promise. Matthew chapter number one. Verse number 18. It was already kind of referenced a little bit in the story this morning with the kids. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> when, as his mother Mary was spouse, which means engaged to be married. Now, engagement back then was much different than it is today. It was a binding contractual agreement. <clears throat> you know, people can get out of engagements like it was nothing today. <clears throat> um, she was a spouse. She was engaged. She was betrothed to, to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So this is where the story is not necessarily often told in the little children's Christmas plays. But uh, at this time, when they were bound to be married, uh, they consummated their marriage, obviously, on their, on their wedding day. And it was, it was a very interesting thing because at this time, they had never been together. Joseph and Mary had never been together. And then the angel comes to Joseph to tell Joseph that, hey, your wife-to-be is pregnant. Now, especially as adults, I mean, you don't have to necessarily answer to me, but what would your reaction be? If you're getting ready to be married to someone, and all of a sudden you hear that they're pregnant, and you know it's not yours because you haven't been with them. That's what's going through Joseph's mind. It probably wasn't like he's laying here, like Colin did. He did an amazing job, but he was like, okay sure it's probably not what happened i can just imagine for joseph and joseph is a very interesting character study i can just imagine all the emotions that are going through his mind right i mean wouldn't there be a lot of emotions going through your mind if something like that would happen hey you're about to get married and especially for for men you're about to be married your wife to be is pregnant and it's not yours ryan's just laughing (laughs) (laughs) So that's what's going on here. That's, that's the significance here. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, he was a man of good character, not willing to, verse number 19, to make her a public example because, I mean, this, this, this was a big deal, especially in Bible times, especially a couple thousand years ago. He was not willing to make her a public example, but was minded to put her away privily or privately. You know, he he really had the opportunity to divorce, to divorce her because this was a legal binding contract. And that's what he was going to do, but he wasn't going to make a public display of it. Hey, Mary is pregnant and it's not my child. Like, he wasn't going to do that. He was a just man. He was a man of character. Verse number 20. But while he thought on these things, and that's kind of where we get in the Christmas story where he's kind of thinking, he's pondering, he's he's asleep. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Thou son of David, fear not. Now, again, I, I'm sure that if, first of all, some you know strange person shows up in my room, I'd be terrified. Um, some of you would be pulling out your guns or trying to find a gun to shoot them. They didn't have guns back then. But anyway, um, this stranger, this angel appears unto Joseph and says, hey, don't be afraid. First of all, don't be afraid of me, but don't be afraid at all. Let me read verse 20 again. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, the son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So it's none other than the Son of God. She hasn't been with anyone else. God put this child into her. It's an amazing thing. So the angel was trying to help Joseph understand this. I still want you to marry her. And she shall bring forth a son. Now shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled that was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child. This was going back to Isaiah. We just referenced that. She shall be with child and... Shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So, when Ahaz was given that sign from Isaiah, the promise Emmanuel was a promise for him. It was a reminder, but the same is true for us today that there is a son coming, there is a baby coming, and I want you to understand no matter what is going on in the world, Emmanuel is coming, which means God with us. And it's a pretty awesome promise. Christmas is one of the most important and beloved holidays from so many. But it takes place during some of the darkest times of the year. I know personally, in my own life, with our own story and our own loss with our son almost eight years ago, that first Christmas was a very difficult Christmas, And anyone here that has ever lost someone, you understand what I'm talking about. That first Christmas is difficult, to say the least. You don't like to go through it. Christmas is supposed to be the the most wonderful time of the year, but most often, honestly, it's not, right? It's a very difficult time. It's a very trying time. And in one of the most darkest times of the year, the birth of Jesus was sent to remind us all of Emmanuel, Emmanuel meaning that God is with us. You see, it reminds us that God has entered our wintry darkness of sin to bring us light, to bring us joy, to bring us love and peace. And Jesus has come so that we might be with God into eternity. And for the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of these names today, starting with the name Emmanuel. And here's the thing, names matter to God. That's why God chose the name Jesus. In Isaiah, we read that it was called Emmanuel and Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting or Eternal Father and the Prince of Peace. And again, as we've already read through in Matthew chapter 1, I I can't even imagine the emotions from Mary finding out that she is pregnant with child, never being with a man, and then finding out Joseph, his wife-to-be, is pregnant as well, and he hasn't been with her all of the emotions that are going on. But there's a couple things that I want you to notice quickly before I really make the application this morning. The first thing we see is this. If you have notes, you want to take this down, it's this. Jesus was born to a virgin mother. Very important. This is naturally impossible, which points to the supernatural aspect of Jesus' birth. So physically, Jesus is Mary's son. I think we all understand that. Physically, Jesus is Mary's son, but Matthew is very careful not to point to Joseph as the father of Jesus, but rather to Mary as the biological mother. So not only was Jesus born to a virgin mother, but this is where the story really gets good because I don't have time to unwrap this. I wish I did. But the second thing is this. Not only was Jesus born to a virgin mother, but he was born to an adopted father, He was born to an adoptive father. You know, adoption is a big deal today as it was back then. And there's a lot of references in the Bible about what adoption is. And really what God has done for us is he has adopted us, those that have trusted him as their savior. And the awesome thing about adoption, especially back in Bible times when this was written, the awesome thing about adoption is the fact that if you are adopted into that family, then it is a legal binding document And everything that family has, you are an heir to. And it's a cool thing when you think about it because Jesus was born to an adoptive father. And if we are a child of God, if we have ever been saved, then we are adopted into God's family. And we've already looked at this in great detail in Ephesians. But as a Christian, the cool thing is everything that God has given his son Jesus The Bible says that we are joint heirs with Jesus, which means we get everything that he gets as well. And that's a huge, huge deal. And this is an awesome thing. Again, I I wish I had more time for this, but being adopted into Joseph's family meant that Jesus received all the benefits as if he were born into that family. Joseph was the one that was in the line of David. The Bible says that he was going to come from the line of David, King David, way back when. Joseph was the one that was in that line, which means that this adoption ties Jesus to the line of David as a royal son. So first of all, Jesus was born to a virgin mother. Secondly, Jesus was born to an adoptive father. Thirdly, Jesus came to a world in need of salvation. Sin needs a solution. And that solution is not found in a military leader. That solution to sin's problem is not found in more sin. You don't fix sin with more sin, as the world tries to do. You fix sin with salvation. You fix sin with the Savior. And the solution to the world's sin problem is Jesus. Verse 23 again, behold, A virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. But going back to verse number 21, and she shall bring forth a son, (coughs) excuse me, and thou shall call his name Jesus, for he shall, what? Save his people from their sins. You know, when you think of Christmas, it's difficult to not think of packages and presents. But the greatest gift of Christmas does not live within a box. You see, often when I open presents, and I'm sure many of you would probably agree with me. How many have opened up, up a present and you did this? You opened up a present, you looked at it like, oh, that's awesome. And you put it back in the box. Anybody ever done that? Like, I do that all the time, especially as I get older. Now, when I got young, well, even when I got younger, I, I mean, I, I remember this vividly last year. You know, the boys had a lot of presents, and we, we purposely tried to not, you know, we, we might have had like two or three presents for them. But then the grandparents came, you know, thank the Lord for the grandparents, (laughs) but the grandparents came and they sent presents from Colorado. They sent presents from Indiana. So the kids ended up having like 50 presents or whatever it was. (coughs) So I remember, you know, Nate's opening presents and Noah, I mean, he didn't understand at the time he was two, (coughs) excuse me, Nate's opening a present. He gets it. He's like, oh, this is cool. He puts it in the box and throws it away. And then he opens the next one. Oh, this is awesome. Cool. Puts it in the next box, right? You know We do the same thing, but when you think of Christmas and you think of presents, it's not about opening the box, opening the gift, and like, oh man, I've always wanted this. I could really use this. All right, let me put it back in the box. Imagine if, <coughs> excuse me, if there's something in your life that you really need that's going to make your life better, whatever that might be. Maybe it's a blender. I don't know. Whatever it might be, there's something in your life that's going to make your life better. You get that gift, you open it and like, this is really going to help me. And you just stick it back in. Is it really going to help you? No. Especially if it's going to make easier on your life. If there's something in, uh, if you're, you know, working on something as a guy and you, and you buy a tool and, you know, you really need this tool, you're going to unwrap that tool, right? You're going to unwrap that package and use it for the project you're working on. You're probably not going to be like, man, I've needed this to finish the project. Let me put it back in the box. Or if, you know, whether you're a guy or a girl and you're, you know, you're working in the kitchen, you're doing things and you're baking things, you know, you know, Ryan has a lot of things in his kitchen that he's, he's bought and purchased, right? A lot of, yeah. KitchenAid mixers. He loves those things. So, uh, imagine, you know, Ryan buys another one, like a fourth or fifth one. He, he opens it up, man, I, I need this It's going to help me bake even more. But then he puts it back in the box. I'm not talking to your wife. I'm talking to you. <coughs> That's not going to help. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. This is what many people do with Jesus. <coughs> Man, I'm struggling. <coughs> I think it's the hay. <coughs> it's like coming in. What? I know, right? <coughs> I haven't been to the city in years. <coughs> I'm dying. <coughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, but this is what I've seen many Christians do with Jesus. They receive, listen, listen, they receive the gift of salvation. They, they take Jesus out, use him as, as they will, and when they're finished, they put him back in the box for another time. But when Jesus came to this world to save the world of their sins, did he come To get out of the box for a couple minutes and then put back in and then get out and put back in. Is that why he came? No, that's not why he came. He came to be among us. The Bible says Emmanuel means God with us. You see, God sometimes can seem distant. How many have ever thought that God seems distant? Anybody ever thought that? I have, honestly. And there are times where he can seem like he's a million miles away from us. But as we come to Christmas in this season, I want you to realize something that the Lord reminded me this very week. God is not distant. God desires to be with us. And I think this reality escapes many of us because it seems too good to be true or, or a poor use of his time. I mean, he's the almighty, powerful creator. Yet what he wants to be known for is that he came to be with us. You see, this is the theme of the Bible when you think about it. God created us. He loves us, but sin separates us from him. And the rest of the story of the Bible is how God brought us close to him through his son, Jesus. And when Jesus came to this earth and died for the sins of the world, he didn't come to be placed in a box. He didn't come to be used whenever you feel like it. All right, God, I'm I'm really in trouble. I really need some help. Well, the reason why we get ourselves in trouble is because we have put Jesus back in a box, right? But Jesus didn't come to be put back in a box. He's not that that genie that, all right, I need more wishes. I need you to grant more things in my life, Lord. Help me. No, he came to be with us. I want you to understand that because it's a powerful statement. It's a powerful proclamation. Jesus is Emmanuel. So what if, what if, what if Emmanuel really meant what it says? You see, the very presence of God is now present with us in the mundane and the mysteries of life. He's with us in our joy, our happiness, as well as our pain. And I'm sure everyone in here can attest to some pain in their life, whether it's this year or past year's. So the reality is Jesus isn't distant. He is always there. But we have to allow him to dwell with us. You see... Shut up, Siri. I wasn't talking to you. (laughs) He's closer than we can imagine. He's not high over us, ruling over us. He is with us. And the names that Jesus gives in Isaiah as well as Matthew, were given at a time of uncertainty in Israel's history. It was a time when God's people were threatened by all sorts of dangers. And it kind of reminds me of today, right? There's a lot of uncertainty today. And during this time, the Israelites cried out to God for help. And he promised to send them a Messiah, Jesus, to rescue them from their darkness. And it can feel easy to feel disconnected from people and the promises of the Old Testament. But while we are not in the same situation, listen, as in the ancient Israelite times, we are all living in different types of darkness today in 2020. For some, especially this year, it's a darkness maybe wrapped around in loss. Maybe it's a darkness of betrayal. Maybe it's a darkness of hopelessness. You know, I think about my own life. I've made promises in my life that, honestly, I never intended to keep. Anybody with me? I think many parents do that. It's not good, but we've done that. We've made promises that we never intended to keep. But the thing that I see about God is when He promised something in His Word, He actually fulfilled that promise. It was true. And when you... Think about the promises of God and His Word. You can take them to the bank. And here's where I really want to draw the, to the end of the message this morning. In our story in Matthew, as we study this passage, what we see is this Matthew makes clear to the world that when God makes a promise in His Word, He fulfills it to the world. The promise was made 700 plus years prior. And I'm sure there were a lot of days and a lot of times and a lot of nights and a lot of uncertainty during the Israelite years that what is happening? Because they went through a lot of persecution. They went through a lot of turmoil. They went through a lot of stress. Is God ever coming? He said he's, he's coming. He said he's sending Messiah. He said he's sending his son, but is he ever coming? But the reality is he has come. You see, God promised to send us Emmanuel 800 years before it happened, he promised to send God robed in flesh, and what a present that is. And really, when you think about it, the greatest gift that we have is the present of his presence. See, if you're a Christian, or just learning about Jesus, the name Emmanuel is an invitation. God came because our lives were shrouded in darkness. If you feel like you were in darkness, know that for you, A child has been born. And the child is Jesus. You know, I've heard it said that all of our greatest problems are rooted in a separation from God. You see, we often look for God's gifts apart from God. But the reality, everything is tied to him. And again, many today are fearful. They're afraid because they feel like God has abandoned them. God is punishing me right now. God has taken members of my family away. How could he do that? But we have a misconstrued view of who God is. Sin has come into the world, and it's caused separation, but we have to understand what Emmanuel means. It means that, what it says, Emmanuel means God is with us. And when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, God was robed in flesh in the form of a baby that grew up to be a man that died on Calvary, that rose from the grave again. But then when he left, do you realize we still have God with us? Because he sent us his comforter. He sent us the Holy Spirit into the world to comfort the hearts of Christians. And as we continue on, listen, the astounding truth of Christianity is this. God became flesh for us so that he can identify with us. It's not that God can't identify with us because Jesus lived on this earth. He went through the the, the, the agony that we have gone through. The Bible says he was fully God yet fully man, so he understands us. God sent his son, Jesus Emmanuel, to be with us. And because of that, listen, we can hold to the promises of God. We can hold to promises like David promised in Psalm chapter 23, where it says, yeah, even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. You've provided me your comforts. And the thing is, sometimes shadows can be frightening, can't they? But shadows don't have to be frightening. I heard of a pastor who was preaching his own wife's funeral. They had a couple of young kids, and the oldest daughter was about 12 years old. During his funeral message, he had referenced this 23rd Psalm. And on the way to the graveside, his daughter looked out the window and said, Dad, I I don't understand. What is that valley of the shadow of death that you were talking about? The dad was trying to think of a way to explain it to his young child, which I think many of us try to explain things from the Bible to our our children at times. And at that very moment, a tractor trailer came by and passed their car. And the way that the sun was shining, it caused a shadow to fall on their car and go past it. So the pastor, the dad, looked at his daughter and, and said, sweetheart, would you rather get hit by that truck or by its shadow? She said, well, well, the shadow, of course. And he said, that's what King David meant. You see, the Messiah would get hit by the truck of sin and death so that only the shadow would be left for us. When Jesus died on the cross, all the weight and the penalty of our sin would go into him so that everything that is left is just a shadow. And what an illustration. Jesus took the power of sin so that all that's left is just a shadow. So when we go through fear and trials, when we go through difficulty, we need to understand that, one, Jesus can identify us, but he's also, he's taken the power of sin, and all that's left behind is just a shadow. But death is still real. Yes, it's still painful. But for those of us that have lost a loved one that is saved, it's not as difficult, is it? Because we know that we will see them again in eternity. And I have that promise to hold on to with with my grandpa passing when I was in college. I have that promise to hold on to with my son that died almost eight eight and a half years ago. I have that promise to hold on to knowing that, you know what? Yeah, it's painful. It hurts. It stinks. It's horrible. But death is just a shadow because Jesus took the weight of it all. And listen to me. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And this is what we're reminded of because the promise Jesus is listen, Jesus is God enough to judge, but good enough to save. He is big enough to execute cosmic justice, but small enough to cry from a manger. He is dreadful enough to defeat death, but delightful enough to melt my heart. He is angry enough to vindicate all evil, but righteous enough to absorb judgment. He is holy enough to comprehensively do good and loving enough. To offer me his goodness, he is tough enough to endure the cross, tender enough to walk with me in suffering. Outside and above me, he is enough to rule the universe. With me, he is enough to guide my steps. He is powerful enough to speak all things into existence, as he did in Genesis 1, but gentle enough to speak comfort into my hearts and doubts and fears. He is frightful enough to make the powers of darkness tremble in terror yet beautiful enough to win my heart. He is high enough to be worthy of all worship, yet lowly enough to call me his friend. He is authoritative enough to never owe us answers, but gracious enough to give us his word to provide answers. He is hard enough to withstand the forces of hell, yet soft enough to care about our day. Righteous enough to judge us, but gracious enough to save us. Judge enough to indict us, but advocate enough to defend us. Strong enough to hold all things together, yet caring enough to hold me together. Supernatural enough to do the miraculous, normal enough to help, help me to do, do, do tomorrow. Dominant enough to vanquish the universe, yet close enough to vanquish my own self-centeredness. Big enough to build his internal kingdom, yet intimate enough to invite me into it. He is transcendent enough <coughs> to come from another world, yet earthly enough to understand mine. He is regal enough to command angel armies, yet simple enough to receive the worship of shepherds, as we talked about this morning. He is terrifying enough to say, fear not, but friendly enough to say, follow me. He is present enough to hear our cries, yet personal enough, personal enough to cry himself, even when his friend Lazarus died. He is sufficient enough to not need me, but generous enough to let me need him. From supremacy to peasantry, from transcendence to tragedy, from splendor to suffering, from thrones to thorns, from heights of heaven to the horror of the cross, to the hallmark of an empty tomb, this is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And here's what I want to leave you this morning. Here's what this message falls to. Three changes, and you know a lot of us don't like change. What I desire is a head change that leads to a heart change, which leads to a life change. The head change is this, to know that Jesus promises us his presence to anyone who receives him. The heart change is this, to feel God's nearness in every circumstance. And the life change is to rely on Jesus even when our path is dark and clear. This is what we need to be reminded of. His presence, his nearness, and that he is there even when things are dark and unclear. You see, this is the gospel. We've been talking about the gospel in our church for several months now. God became flesh to identify with us, to leave us a shadow of the power of sin and death that was defeated. You see, Emmanuel came so that he might redeem us from the darkness and lead us into a glorious light. And that's what we need to be reminded of this morning. What if a manual actually means what it says it means? Well, it does. It means God is with us. And if you're here today and you're struggling with doubt and fear and loss, and I'm sure many of us are struggling with those things, honestly, then let this be a reminder. Let this play be a reminder. Let this message be a reminder that God isn't distant. He's not far away. He's distant because you've made him distant but he came to dwell among us. He came to, to be with us. He came to help us through our problems and our difficulties and our pains and our struggles. But we have to allow him. If you're here today and you never trusted Jesus as your Savior, as I've done many times, honestly, it's, it's simple. It's as easy as ABC admitting you're a sinner because all of us have sinned, for all of sinned to come short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned, But second, believing that Jesus is who he says he is, the son of God, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave. You know, the story seems so astounding, so astonishing, so difficult to believe. But the truth is we can believe it, one, because the Bible says it, but also there were hundreds and hundreds of witnesses to his resurrection. You know, someone made up a story so outlandish as this, and there were no witnesses, It'd be pretty difficult to believe, wouldn't it? But there were witnesses. There were people that said, I've seen the risen Savior. So first, you must admit that you're a sinner. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And third, you must confess your sins and call upon His name for salvation. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Save me of my sins. You know, I said earlier, Jesus came in verse number 21 of Matthew. He came to save His people from their sins. That's why He came And the message today is the fact that Emmanuel, he is God with us. Let that be your hope. Let's pray.